Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm excited to have you with us. All right, here we are. It's the holiday season. It is December 23rd, 2020, uh, Christmas Eve Eve, and we almost have this year 2020 finally behind us. So on this week's episode of the Kaderna podcast, we're going to be talking about the latest round of stimulus from the U.S. government. On Monday evening, Congress passed the second stimulus bill for $900 billion, a rescue package as it's being referred to. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about what exactly is inside that $900 billion bill, and also what is the effect that it's going to have both in the near term on the American people and a lot of the struggling businesses out there, but also on the long-term outlook for America. So stay tuned. We're going to get into some numbers here, but I think it's going to be pretty eye-opening and something that everybody really needs to get familiar with. Whether you love economics or you're just along for the ride, this is some important, life-changing information. So without further ado, let's get underway. Okay, welcome back. So again, today we're going to be discussing the ongoing relief provided for coronavirus in the second round of stimulus from the U.S. government, totaling $900 billion. So just to begin, what I'd like to do is kind of rewind to earlier this year when you may recall that you may or may not have received a $1,200 check that just kind of came out of the blue from the U.S. government. And if you forgot about that, I could certainly understand because I know that quite a lot has transpired since then. It could almost feel like a lifetime ago. I mean, think about it. Since those $1,200 checks were beginning to be issued back in the spring, uh, you know, we had businesses that we frequented, which were closed down overnight. Um, Then they got to reopen. Then many of them were closed down again. Uh, And then they kind of reopened, I think, again, but depends on where they were, what exactly they did. Uh, Meanwhile, Walmart and Target were certainly packed, uh, but your favorite business across the street may have been closed. So quite a bit of a debate going on there that will certainly leave many Americans confused. And oh, by the way, you know, over the past several months, there were a couple of protests that you might have heard about. Uh, There was an election that kind of went smoothly, I suppose. And, uh, you know, your kids may or may not be at school or driving you crazy while you're also trying to work home if you still have a job. So it's been a crazy year, I get that, but back in the spring, the U.S. government did toss many Americans a free $1,200 check, and whether you forgot it or not, it was there, and it actually cost the U.S. government $218 billion just to issue those checks. So here we are, again, December 23rd of 2020, and we're going to have yet another round of stimulus. Now, those checks that I just referenced for $1,200, they were part of the larger $2.2 trillion CARES Act. Uh, Again, that was passed back in March of this year. Here in December, we have another $900 billion. And included inside of that is going to be some more, quote unquote, free money for the American people. All right. Many Americans, at least singles making under $75,000 a year, or couples married filing jointly that are making under $150,000 a year will be getting another check in the mail. But this time around, it's only going to be $600 per individual. 
So is that enough to kind of make all your problems go away? Um, some might be excited. Others might say, are you kidding me? Uh, but it is there and it's a part of a $900 billion package. So what I want to emphasize just to kind of kick off is you might be saying, well, what else is inside that package? How come we're not getting more than a free $600 check? Well, let me read off exactly what's in the package or at least what makes up the bulk thereof. So there will be another $284 billion towards forgivable PPP loans, all right? That was the payroll protection program. There will be an additional $300 per week for enhanced unemployment benefits, all right? So you'll be getting your normal state unemployment benefits if you're out of work, plus an extra $300 a week from the federal government. Uh, that will go on until at least March 14th of 2021. There's an extra $82 billion given to education providers uh, that's earmarked to help reopen classrooms safely. Okay, that's $82 billion there. Uh, another $13 billion for food stamps, all right, for the SNAP program. $25 billion allocated for rental assistance. And then there's a slew of other programs that will certainly, uh, you know, make you raise your eyes uh, more than once. Um, so what some of these could include would be $26.4 million uh, that's allocated to the Kennedy Center for Arts, uh, which hasn't even been built yet. Uh, $10 million in aid to Pakistan for quote unquote gender programs. Uh, I'm not sure really what those might be. And then a number of other programs that each political party was able to kind of fit within the bill. Because as every politician will know, you never let a good catastrophe go to waste. So what a great opportunity to just kind of throw some more money into this package. But again, who's counting uh, when all this is going on? And we're just trying to figure out if the kids are going back to school or if we're going to have work in the new year. Well, I'll tell you who's counting, uh, the people on Capitol Hill. Uh, some are and some aren't. So Gregory Deco, the chief U.S. economist at Oxford Economics, uh, he recently said, and I quote, while the deal is months late and will likely fall short of what is needed to provide, prevent a rough winter, it's certainly better than nothing. So it might not really work. Uh, it might not get the economy right back on its feet, as he's saying. Um, but again, it is there and it does cost us $900 billion. So hopefully it is helping out here, folks. Uh, and if you think that that's it, that, you know, hey, there was $2.2 trillion of stimulus in March, another $900 billion today. We just keep kind of throwing money into the mix here. And finally, we're out of the woods. You know, we don't have to worry about what the U.S. balance sheet looks like. Um, that's not what Senator, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, a New York Democrat, says when he says that this bill is just a first step. There will certainly be more stimulus coming in 2021. Now, what that could mean, how much that could be, there's no telling. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we have another stimulus coming through. Hopefully these $600 checks, these direct payments are going to help the American people. Um, will it or will it not? Time is going to tell. Another thing just to kind of add a footnote to that is this round of direct payments are also going to include what are called mixed status households. So those $1,200 checks that I mentioned back in March, 
Uh, a group that they kind of overlooked were households that included immigrants, okay? Uh, in particular, spouses or children who are not U.S. citizens and do not have a green card or even are undocumented. This go-round will include those individuals so that they'll be accounted for uh, when the $600 checks are sent out. This uh, motion is also being made retroactive to the CARES Act uh, to cover the previous $1,200 checks uh, that were shelled out. So uh, Secretary of Treasury Steven Mnuchin has promised that people will start seeing these checks in the mail as early as next week. Okay, so the last week of 2020, just in time maybe to help with some of the uh, leftover bills from Christmas shopping. So I know that you have probably heard the word unprecedented uh, in unprecedented, unprecedented amount of times this year in 2020. Uh, it's uh, something that's become kind of a running joke in our household. Um, but it's, it's very easy, I think, to overlook all of the bickering and debating and nonsense that you kind of see sometimes on Capitol Hill uh, with everything that we have going on this year. And also in today, just the world at large that we're living in. I mean, think about it. Parents don't know when their kids are going to get off TikTok and put the phone down and actually go back to a classroom. We don't know when many of us will have an opportunity to return to work or return to the office uh, like we used to, or if that's ever going to happen. Maybe we just live in a remote world moving forward. Uh, and I know that there's so much uh, tension built up over small business owners that just based on the zip code they're in can watch a business across the street open up and a bar be packed, but their restaurant is forced to close the doors. Or a mom and pop store that's been closed now for maybe six or seven months while across the street there's a Target or a big box store that's packed shoulder to shoulder with crowds. All right, so some of the hypocrisy in all of this year uh, is certainly outstanding. I mean, I even think of, you know, with our kids playing football, it's a tackle sport. They're going, you know, a full 60 minutes, blood, sweat, and tears out in the mud. And then at the end of the game, they're not allowed to shake hands because of the potential spread of coronavirus. So go figure that out. It's just like my buddy working at uh, Outback told me that they have to scold their customers, their patrons that come in, that take down their masks right before reaching the bar. But then once they're seated at the bar, they can lower their mask, of course, as if COVID doesn't spread once you get into a seated position. So it's a very, very serious topic, but in so many different ways has kind of been made light of uh, because of some of this hypocrisy that we're seeing. But I don't want to get bogged down in that, as many of us are. What I want to focus on is the economics. Because in this kind of fog of this year, where we might look like zombies of sorts, just waiting for our next check to come in from the U.S. government, uh, this, this massive kind of welfare and assistance that so many are depending on, uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, what's the long-term effect of all this when I'm just trying to make it to next week? So that's what I want to spend some extra time on. And I'm going to share some figures here that are straight from, from the government. If you just go to budget.gov, you can look up any of these numbers. But what I want to take you through is a trend that you're going to see over recent history uh, that's really hopefully climaxing today, but I, it may not be. We may just be kind of continuing on this trajectory. So if we go all the way back to... Uh, 
Let's take a look at when President Bill Clinton took office in 1993. All right, this was after the economic boom of Reaganomics and uh, one term of the first Bush administration. And so when Clinton took office in 1993, federal spending was at $1.41 trillion a year. The national debt totaled $4.35 trillion. And America's GDP, or gross domestic product, was $6.58 trillion. Okay? When President Clinton left office in 2001, federal spending was quite similar at $1.86 trillion. National debt had gone up slightly to $5.77 trillion, and the GDP had taken a nice jump up to $10.06 trillion. All right, so that sounds like a pretty good path, right? Debt hasn't gone up much, and our output, you know, increased dramatically. But then in the next go-round, the next eight years, of course, unfortunately, we had 9-11. We had two wars begin in the Middle East. And we also had the housing collapse and the Great Recession. And when President Bush, uh, too, left office in 2009, federal spending now totaled $3.11 trillion per year. Okay, so more than double what it was under his predecessor. The national debt exceeded $10.41 trillion. Again, almost double or more than double his predecessor. And GDP, fortunately, had grown to $14.10 trillion. So what you're starting to see now is debt you know, ramping up quickly, uh, while GDP still was growing at, at certainly a respectable rate, but not as quickly compared to our national debt. Okay, And then Bush leaves office, and of course, President Barack Obama takes over and serves two terms. When he left office in 2017, federal spending was now up to $3.98 trillion per year. The national debt doubled again to $19.90 trillion. More debt was accumulated in President Obama's uh, presidency than in all prior presidencies combined in American history. And then GDP, for the first time ever, fell short of our national debt at just 19.49 trillion, okay? So this was the first time where uh, our actual debt on the balance sheet exceeded uh, what our national output was, okay? That was when Obama left in 2017. Now Trump enters office uh, with the Make America Great Again message. And at the conclusion of Trump's presidency, okay, bringing you up to current day, uh, the federal spending for the fiscal year 2020 was $6.5 trillion. Obviously, the bulk of that came from that first round of stimulus that alone was $2.2 trillion just overnight. The national debt currently sits at $27.52 trillion. Okay, Just a mammoth figure uh, only being bolstered by these recent rounds of stimulus. And then the projected GDP uh, for this year, 2020, is going to fall well short at $20.66 trillion, okay? Uh, So, guys, it doesn't take a statistician here to see that debt has rapidly overtaken our uh, economic production. And at the rate that we're at right now, with stimulus bills almost becoming the norm or the expected, uh, it, it doesn't really show any sign of slowing down. So... That should just give you at least a a trend there in debt versus GDP, uh, which is a good measure of our economic output. 
And so just to elaborate on, you know, where does America stand? Um, a lot of people obviously are kind of worried by some of these figures that I just rattled off. So in 2019, America's GDP was a whopping $21.5 trillion, okay? In 2020, obviously with coronavirus and the shutdown, we're going to actually have a contraction and not meet last year's number. But last year, 2019, a great year, $21.5 trillion in GDP, that accounted for over 25% of the entire world's output, Okay. For comparison's sake, China, which is really the only other superpower out there right now, had a GDP of $14.14 trillion, uh, so well short of what we were able to do in America. California, okay, our biggest producer, had a GDP of over $3 trillion last year, uh, which was more economic output all by itself than all of India, uh, which has a GDP of $2.9 trillion. Okay, so it just shows you the the enormous economic power and weight that our country, the United States of America, truly holds. Okay, but as we just mentioned, you know, any business owner uh, will recognize that those inflows are only half of the equation. The outflows, which are going through the roof even quicker than our GDP, uh, is what I think is starting to worry a lot of economists. And it's important that, that the American people recognize that. And I know, again, with everything we're hearing about in the media and the delirium on social media and just what we're trying to get through day by day, week by week in this insane year, it's easy just to say, oh, what's it matter? And what's another trillion dollars or billion dollars? I don't even know what those figures really mean. Um, so these figures are huge and they do mean something, guys. So... Uh, just to kind of elaborate where I think there should be a sense of urgency on this conversation is the World Bank says that a country gets into not a crisis, but uh, essentially a cautionary zone when their sovereign debt, okay, exceeds 77% of GDP, okay? So think of it, if your debt is more than 77%, more than three quarters of that GDP number, you're starting to kind of get into some, you know, hot water, shall we say. Now, what I just mentioned this year, we have 27 trillion plus of debt and 20 trillion of GDP. So forget being 77%, that number is closer to about 135% of GDP. Our debt is going way above uh, our output. So you might be saying to yourself, well, they're throwing around stimulus checks and all this stuff like it's nothing. Uh, the politicians are saying we want more, more, more on certain sides of the aisle. Um, and you're saying, well, does it even really matter? Like if we go from 27 trillion to 30 trillion, is it even going to affect, you know, my work life or my household tomorrow? Tomorrow, maybe not. But in the future, it, it can. OK. And what I want to share is in the banking world, there, there's a saying that's often thrown around that if you owe the bank a million dollars and you cannot pay, it's your problem. But if you owe the bank a hundred million dollars and can't pay, now it's the bank's problem. Okay. So right now with the sovereign debt that America has taken on over $27 trillion, it's the bank's problem. So who is the bank? Who is owed all of this money? Let's take a look at that. 
So of the U.S. debt, according to the, the uh, Treasury, one third is owned by foreign governments. And everyone says, oh, China owns America. Actually, the largest holder of American debt outside of America is Japan, okay, slightly ahead of China. All right, so one third of that 27 trillion is owned by foreign governments. They're depending on America paying them back. The other two thirds of all that debt is actually owned domestically. Uh, the bulk is owned by the Federal Reserve, uh, as well as, you know, different banks and American corporations and even individuals who are simply investing in treasuries as a safe haven or to meet reserve requirements and things of that nature. So essentially what all these treasuries or notes or bills, uh, you know, tips, all these forms of treasuries, what they are is the government saying, OK, we're going to essentially uh, you know, take this loan of a thousand dollars, a million dollars, or a billion dollars, and these individuals, corporations, or banks own that note, and then they're waiting for the government to pay them back with interest. So the question is, as the debt balloons and the GDP doesn't keep up with that, is there a chance that America could default on any of that debt? America has never in history defaulted on its debt, but we've also never seen numbers in ratios like I just alluded to. Now, what America can do is continue to issue more debt to pay off that prior debt uh, so that they never, ever do have a default and they continue to be seen as the safe haven of the world. Um, so that is possible. And the reason that America has been able to expand so rapidly and balloon this debt so much is GDP had always traditionally outpaced the debt. But now that we're not doing that, uh, it's going to start raising the question of essentially how safe is the balance sheet of America. Now, if you start to look at other countries around the globe, many of them are also following a similar pattern, uh, which could kind of uh, use the term that America is like the tallest midget in the room, uh, where we're, yeah, our balance sheet looks insane from some standpoints. Uh, but better than many others. And the fact that we never have defaulted still will allow us to be seen as the safe haven where people are willing to lend us, you know, extreme amounts of money. Okay. But, you know, things are definitely changing. They're changing rapidly. If you think about it, the, the Federal Reserve uh, in, uh, what was it, 2011 owned $1.6 trillion of treasuries. Okay. This is not their main purpose. It's just to buy treasuries from the government, kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, but now in 2020, the Fed owns over $7 trillion of treasuries. They have almost seven times the amount of U.S. debt on their balance sheet than they did just in 2011. Okay, And so what they're essentially doing is this is where they, they are kind of printing money uh, to say, okay, the U.S. government issue all of this debt, the Fed will essentially print money and buy that debt, which then they're buying that debt, they're assuming the treasuries, and then they're flooding the economy uh, with dollars to essentially give liquidity to our markets and everything that we operate on here in America. So hopefully I haven't lost you uh, in all of that. The overarching theme is things are changing quickly, uh, especially over the past 10 years. And so what do the next 10 years hold and what's that going to mean for America? So the question I always get is, do we ever have to pay off that debt? And the answer is 
no, we never have to just pay it off and kind of clear the register, but we do have to keep paying it. Okay, we can't default or that would be like a catastrophe. So as that number gets bigger and bigger, if our GDP is not able to really pick up speed and start to match that and outpace it like it used to, the only two methods to really start fixing that balance sheet to keep the strength of our U.S. dollar are going to be obviously raising taxes to bring in more revenue or decreasing spending. Now, raising taxes, typically that's going to contract the economy. So it might bring in more revenue immediately, but then it might shrink that GDP further. And then raising spending, that often helps the economy as it's doing this year. You could just see in the stock market, but that's just kind of like digging further and further to get out of this hole and to reduce spending and talk about reducing Social Security, Medicare, defense, some of the biggest expenses on the U.S. budget. Um, those are obviously very, very touchy topics uh, that, that any politician likes to kind of shy away from. So what does all this mean? How do we fix the problem? Eventually, it will have to be get fixed before the U.S. dollar crashes, you know, maybe decades or generations from now. But that is essentially a segue into what the solution is, is the bill has to be paid at some point. And it can't just be just unlimited debt to repay more debt. So eventually, this reduction in spending or these increases in taxes are going to kind of fall on future generations. Okay. And one of the things I think that's often talked about uh, when you speak to millennials or up and coming generations where they start to pay attention and say, hey, you know, now I'm, I'm suddenly interested in finance is the student loan epidemic. Right, which we've talked about on this show, how student loans have gotten out of control. Okay, That, guys, is just one little spoke of the wheel. If we could take that kind of financial debacle and extrapolate that through all of these other programs that the U.S. government is involved in, then we start to see, okay, we really need the strength of the economy and our government to kind of stay uh, in the position that we've always known it. And if the GDP doesn't catch up and if the debt goes higher, now we're starting to talk about some of these enormous programs that all of America banks on uh, to be altered or changed in future generations. So I think that would be a, a good closing point um, is essentially these stimulus bills, these $1,200 checks, these $600 checks, they may help a little bit today. But there is a long-term cost to them, and you cannot overlook that. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but you need to just recognize these things uh, when you start to have economic conversations or ever even talk to a politician that may have some sway uh, in the debate. And so maybe a question that I could pose to you that I think is a good topic of conversation is the U.S. government in March said, we're going to give each American individual, again, under certain income thresholds, 1200 bucks, And hopefully that can make their problems go away. Now, politicians have gone back and forth debating ever since then. We need to do it again. We need to help our constituents, our voting you know, republic. We need to give them more money. And they said, 600 bucks. That's the best we can do in this go-round. But like I mentioned earlier, you know, Chuck Schumer says, don't worry, more is coming, more is on the way. So that should beg the question, which I'd like to ask all of you, is if $1,200 wasn't enough, $600 wasn't enough, 
What about 5,000? What about 10,000? What if we could give each American person $100,000? Would that fix their problems? And at what point is it enough for the American individual, but too much for the American government? Remember guys, those $1,200 checks that came in the spring that I think a lot of people frankly have kind of forgotten about or said it didn't really do much, that cost $218 billion by itself. So think about what is going to be enough, but then what is too much on the other side of the equation. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Kaderna podcast. I know we're wrapping up this year, 2020. On a positive note, I would just say, look at what our economy has done. It's almost like the uh, American miracle where we can always adapt and innovate uh, and be productive in spite of what the world is throwing us. So definitely stay the optimist. Uh, I think that you know good times are ahead and we have a vaccine here that's being cautiously adopted, but uh, people are starting to take it. Hopefully we can get coronavirus behind us, get the economy back on track uh, and move forward. But do not overlook that $27 trillion of debt. I know it's hard to even picture what that could look like, but that's real money, folks. And uh, we need to think about it both not just now, next year, but 10 years from now, and even 100 years from now for kids or grandkids of what their world might look like. Thank you. Have a Merry Christmas. Everyone else, I hope you had a happy Hanukkah and a joyous holiday season. Uh, hopefully we'll see you next week to wrap up 2020. And if we don't, have a happy new year. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This material contains the current opinions of the speaker, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Brian Coderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS. OSJ 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, 973-244-4420. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Coderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number OK04194. Approval number 2021-122727, expiration June 2023.